Pete Rose uh, finally came to the point where he had to admit that he had gambled on baseball. And what he said was that, that people have to understand, I wish this would have never happened, but I can't change it. It happened. And all I'm looking for is a second chance. We can all identify with that. At one time or another, we've been trapped in the consequences of our actions. Maybe they were actions we didn't intend. Maybe they were actions we took because we didn't know any better. But still, we, we are caught in the consequences of those actions that we ourselves set in motion. And all of us, all of us would love to, to, to go back and to relive that moment where we made the mistake and, and do something different. Or we wish there was, was just some way that we could exchange our life story for a better one. Because what happens is we can't on our own. We can't go back and relive the mistake. We, we can't give ourselves a different life that doesn't include all of those things. And so what happens is we end up consumed by guilt and by sorrow. Now, what happens is a lot of times we will turn to things that maybe will numb us from the guilt and from the sorrow, but eventually that numbness wears off and we're right back where we started. But what if we could find someone who could bear the guilt and the sorrow for us? And you might kind of laugh and say, well, who in the world would want to bear the results of all the mistakes that I have made in my life? But there is someone who can do that. In fact, the prophet Isaiah writes about him. He's been called a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Did you get that? Here, here's a person who himself was despised and who was rejected and who was misunderstood. This person took up our pain and our suffering. He took it up. What that means in this context, it's the idea of someone who is trying to carry this load and someone comes up to them and takes it from them and carries for them that load that they were unable to carry themselves. That's what this person did. But did you really catch what Isaiah says here? 
Not only does this person carry it, but Isaiah tells it like it's something he's already done. He doesn't say that this person will carry it. He says that the person has already done that. He's already carried it. He has already taken it up. But that's not all he's already done. Because Isaiah continues in verse 5. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced and he was crushed. So Isaiah is telling us that, that this man suffered some kind of violent death. But, but not for anything that he had done. But rather for what other people had done. And, and the prophet says that it was our transgressions and our iniquities. So the prophet is just not talking about things that he had done, but he's talking about things that we have done. And the other, other amazing thing is that this man suffers so that we can have peace. All of our evil deeds, this man takes on himself because we've turned away. We've gone about our own business and done our own thing. And somehow God has taken all of our sins and laid them on this person. Why do we feel so drawn to this? Why do we feel that, that somehow this, this story is about us? Well, the reason we feel drawn to it is because it is our story. Isaiah is telling us our story. We, we are in this story. But you wonder, well, wait a minute. I thought he was writing about a servant. Well, he, he's talking about God's special servant. Here he's the suffering servant. But if you've been with us the last few weeks, you've been introduced to, to God's special servant. This is the fourth time in Isaiah that we read about him. But every time this servant appears in the writings of Isaiah, either God is talking about him or the servant is giving a report for himself. For example, in Isaiah 52, 13, God says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But when we get to chapter 53 that we just read, the narration shifts dramatically. And instead of God speaking, or instead of the servant speaking, it's a group of people who are speaking. We hear things like we and our what happens here is this is no longer a report. This has become a testimony. The people are no longer outside of the story. They are in the story. They are the ones who are giving their testimony of what the servant has done for them. 
And that's why we are so drawn to this story. Because the people giving the testimony here are you and me. And the servant that they're speaking of is Jesus Christ. A passage of scripture with which you might be more familiar says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Not only is this our story, this is the story of all mankind. Jesus suffered and died for all of us. All of us. He took the sins of the whole world upon himself. Your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, he did not only carry our sins and our guilt and our sorrow that we had been trying to carry around all by ourselves. But he also suffered the consequences of those actions that rightfully belonged to us. We were the ones who should suffer the consequences for our actions, but Jesus took them on his, himself. So this is very much our story, the we's and the ours in this story are you and me. As a result of what he's done, we can have peace with God and we can know true healing and wholeness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love what J.N. Oswalt writes. He says, God's power is at its greatest, not in his destruction of the wicked, but in his taking all of the wickedness of the earth into himself and giving back love. Maybe you're sitting here saying, well, no, that, this is really not my story. This is not my story. But it can be. It can be. And the invitation of Jesus to everyone, found in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So you might be asking yourself, why do I need to know this on Easter? I mean, I, I came here today to, to hear about Jesus' resurrection, not about Jesus' death. Why do we need to know this on Easter? It's because you can't separate the two. You can't. Easter is so much more than just about a guy who died and who mysteriously came back to life. What happens is, if you have no personal connection with Christ's death on the cross, then you have no personal connection 
with his resurrection either. A summary in a sentence is found in Romans 4.25. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. God's entire redemptive plan is summed up in that one sentence. As Albert Barnes writes, Jesus Christ crucified and raised to life is God the Father's gracious provision for the sins of a fallen race. It's simple, yet it's very powerful. It's simple because it's very clear for everyone to hear of what God has done in Jesus Christ. But it's also powerful enough to save us. Powerful enough to save anyone who reaches out in faith to him. And for those who reach out in faith, Jesus' resurrection is about our resurrection. If we have a connection in his death, then we have a connection in his resurrection. And his resurrection is a pledge of ours as well. Jesus said in John 14, 19, he says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. What Jesus is saying is that the crucifixion will literally separate Jesus from his disciples and from the world. But his resurrection will spiritually separate his followers from the world. The disciples will still be physically in the world, but while the world blindly goes on living their lives as they want to live them, those who follow Christ will be able to see him very clearly and be able to follow him and to be able to gain strength from him. Jesus concludes this verse with a powerful promise he says, because I live, you also will live. In spite of his impending death, Jesus says, because I live. Jesus knows he's going to die. The disciples, if they have any inkling of it, know something's up. Jesus, in the face of his impending death, says, I, I live. But it shouldn't be a surprise. When John introduces the incarnate Christ at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, in him was life. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the one who can place death in its proper perspective, not only for himself, but for us who follow him. Jesus also said in John 5, he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Death is certainly real. It is. We all know that. Death is very real. 
But Jesus, coming into the world as life, rising again as life, and he will return as life, all of those are a part of a great affirmation for us that Jesus lives, and because he lives, his followers also will live. It's a life that reaches beyond the physical experience of the grave. It is eternal life given to us by the author of life. And not just to us, but to anyone who believes. Let's pray.